0: Section twenty-four of the Life of Samuel Johnson, volume one, by James Boswell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Rambler has increased in fame as in age. Soon after its first folio edition was concluded, it was published in six duodecimo volumes. Footnote. In the gentleman's magazine for January 1752, in the list of books published, is a correct and beautiful edition of the Rambler in four volumes in duodecimo, price twelve shillings. The Rambler was not concluded till the following March. The remaining two volumes were published in July. Gentlemen's Magazine, volume 22, page 338, and a footnote. And its author lived to see ten numerous editions of it in London, beside those of Ireland and Scotland. Footnote. According to Hawkins, Life, page 269, each edition consisted of 1,250 copies. End of footnote. I profess myself to have ever entertained a profound veneration for the astonishing force and vivacity of mind which the Rambler exhibits. That Johnson had penetration enough to see, and seeing would not disguise the general misery of man in this state of being, may have given rise to the superficial notion of his being too stern a philosopher but men of reflection will be sensible that he has given a true representation of human existence and that he has at the same time with a generous benevolence displayed every consolation which our state affords us not only those arising from the hopes of futurity but such as may be attained in the immediate progress through life he has not depressed the soul to despondency and indifference he has everywhere inculcated study labor and exertion nay he has shown in a very odious light a man whose practice it is to go about darkening the views of others by perpetual complaints of evil and awakening those considerations of danger and distress which are for the most part lulled into a quiet oblivion this he has done very strongly in his character of Suspirius. Footnote, number fifty-five, fifty-nine, Boswell. End of footnote. From which Goldsmith took that of Croker in his comedy of the good-natured man. As Johnson told me, he acknowledged to him, and which is indeed very obvious. Footnotes. Miss Burney records in her diary that one day at Streatham, while she and mrs thrale were reading this rambler dr johnson came in we told him what we were about ah oh, madam cried he goldsmith was not scrupulous but he would have been a great man had he known the real value of his own internal resources madame d'arblay's diary volume one page eighty three see post beginning of seventeen sixty eight it is possible that mrs hardcastle's drive in she stoops to conquer was suggested by the rambler number thirty four in it a young gentleman describes a lady's terror on a coach journey our whole conversation passed in dangers and cares and fears and consolations and stories of ladies dragged in the mire forced to spend all night on the heath drowned in rivers or burnt with lightning we had now a new scene of terror every man we saw was a robber and we were ordered sometimes to drive hard lest a traveller whom we saw behind should overtake us and sometimes to stop lest we should come up to him who was passing before us she alarmed many an honest man by begging him to spare her life as he passed by the coach End of footnotes the beauties of dr johnson anno domini 1750 to point out the numerous subjects which the rambler treats with the dignity and perspicuity which are there united in a manner which we shall in vain look for anywhere else would take up too large a portion of my book and would i trust to be superfluous considering how universally those volumes are now disseminated even the most condensed and brilliant sentences which they contain, and which have very properly been selected under the name of beauties, are of considerable bulk. Dr. Johnson was gratified by seeing this selection, and wrote to Mr. Kearsley, bookseller in Fleet Street, the following note. Mr. Johnson sends compliments to Mr. Kearsley, and begs the favour of seeing him as soon as he can. Mr. Kearsley has desired to bring with him the last edition of what he has honoured with the name of beauties may the twentieth seventeen eighty two Boswell. The correspondence post may the fifteenth seventeen eighty two shows that Johnson sent for this book not because he was gratified but because he was accused on the strength of one of the beauties of recommending suicide on that day, being in the country he wrote i never saw the book but by casual inspection and considered myself as utterly disengaged from its consequences he adds i hope some time in the next week to have all rectified the letter of may twentieth shows that on his return to town he lost little time if any in sending for kearsley End but I may shortly observe that the Rambler furnishes such an assemblage of discourses on practical religion and moral duty, of critical investigations and allegorical and oriental tales, that no mind can be thought very deficient that has, by constant study and meditation, assimilated to itself all that may be found there. Number seven, written in Passion Week, on abstraction and self-examination, and number one hundred and ten on penitence and the placability of the divine nature cannot be too often read. Number fifty four on the effect which the death of a friend should have upon us, though rather too dispiriting, may be occasionally very medicinal to the mind. Every one must suppose the writer to have been deeply impressed by a real scene. But he told me that was not the case which shows how well his fancy could conduct him to the house of mourning footnote ecclesiastes chapter seven verse four into footnote some of these more solemn papers i doubt not particularly attracted the notice of dr young the author of the night thoughts of whom my estimation is such as to reckon his applause and honour even to johnson I have seen some volumes of dr Young's copy of the Rambler, in which he has marked the passages which he thought particularly excellent by folding down a corner of the page, and such as he rated in a supereminent degree are marked by double folds. I am sorry that some of the volumes are lost. Johnson was pleased when told of the minute attention with which Young had signified his approbation of his essays a club in Essex, Tart 41. I will venture to say that in no writings whatever can be found more bark and steel for the mind, if I may use the expression, more that can brace and invigorate every manly and noble sentiment. Number 32 on patience even under extreme misery is wonderfully lofty and as much above the rant of Stoicism as the sun of Revelation is brighter than the twilight of pagan philosophy. I never read the following sentence without feeling my frame thrill. I think there is some reason for questioning whether the body and mind are not so proportioned that the one can bear all which can be inflicted on the other, whether virtue cannot stand its ground as long as life, and whether a soul well-principled will not be sooner separated than subdued. Footnote. In the original separated sooner than subdued. Johnson acted up to what he said. When he was close on his end, all who saw him beheld and acknowledged the invictum animum cartonis. Talking of his illness, he said, I will be conquered. I will not capitulate. See post October seventeen eighty four. End of footnote. The character of Prospero, anno Domini seventeen fifty. The style of the Rambler, I 41. Though instruction be the predominant purpose of the Rambler, yet it is enlivened with a considerable portion of amusement nothing can be more erroneous than the notion which some persons have entertained that johnson was then a retired author ignorant of the world and of consequence that he wrote only from his imagination when he described characters and manners he said to me that before he wrote that work he had been running about the world as he expressed it more than almost anybody and i have heard him relate with much satisfaction that several of the characters in the rambler were drawn so naturally that when it first circulated in numbers a club in one of the towns in essex imagined themselves to be severally exhibited in it and were much incensed against a person who they suspected had thus made them objects of public notice nor were they quieted, till authentic assurance was given them that the Rambler was written by a person who had never heard of any one of them. Footnote. In the spectator number 568, Addison tells of a village in which there arose a current report that somebody had written a book against the squire and the whole parish. The book was the whole duty of man. Into footnote. Some of the characters are believed to have been actually drawn from life, particularly that of Prospero from Garrick, who never entirely forgave its pointed satire. Note. The character of Prospero was beyond all question occasioned by Garrick's ostentatious display of furniture in Dresden, China. Murphy's Johnson, page 144. If garrick was aimed at it is surprising that the severity of the satire did not bring to an end not only all friendship but even any acquaintance between the two men the writer describes how he and prospero had set out in the world together and how for a long time they had assisted each other till his friend had been lately raised to wealth by a lucky project I felt at his sudden shoot of success an honest and disinterested joy. Prospero reproached him with his neglect to visit him in his new house. When however he went to see him, he found that his friend's impatience arose not from any desire to communicate his happiness, but to enjoy his superiority. He was kept waiting at the door and when at length he was shown upstairs he found the staircase carefully secured by mats from the pollution of his feet prospero led him into a back room where he told him he always breakfasted when he had not great company after the visitor had endured one act of insolence after another he says i left him without any intention of seeing him again unless some misfortune should restore his understanding. Ramble number two hundred, C. Post, May the fifteenth, seventeen seventy-six. Where Johnson, speaking of the charge of meanness brought against Garrick, said he might have been much better attacked for living with more splendour than is suitable to a player. In C. C. greville's Journal, Volume Two, page three one six, we have an instance of how stories about Johnson grew he writes lord holland told some stories of johnson and garrick which he had heard from Kemble, when garrick was in the zenith of his popularity and grown rich and lived with the great and while johnson was yet obscure the doctor used to drink tea with him and he would say davy i do not envy you your money nor your fine acquaintance i envy you your power of drinking such tea as this yes said garrick it is very good tea but it is not my best nor that which i give to my lord this and says so somebody t'other there can be little doubt that the whole story is founded on the following passage in the character of prospero breakfast was at last set and as i was not willing to indulge the peevishness that began to seize me i commended the tea prospero then told me that another time i should taste his finest sort but that he had only a very small quantity remaining and reserved it for those whom he thought himself obliged to treat with particular respect see post april tenth seventeen seventy eight where johnson maintained that garrick bore his good fortune with modesty End of footnote. for instances of fertility of fancy and accurate description of real life i appeal to number nineteen a man who wanders from one profession to another with most plausible reasons for every change number thirty four female fastidiousness and timorous refinement number eighty two a virtuoso who has collected curiosities number eighty eight Footnote number ninety eight petty modes of entertaining a company and conciliating kindness number one hundred eighty two fortune hunting number one hundred ninety four ninety five a tutor's account of the follies of his pupil number one hundred ninety seven one hundred ninety eight legacy hunting he has given a specimen of his nice observation of the mere external appearances of life in the following passage in number one hundred and seventy nine against affectation that frequent and most disgusting quality he that stands to contemplate the crowds that fill the streets of a populous city will see many passengers whose air and motion it will be difficult to behold without contempt and laughter but if he examine what are the appearances that thus powerfully excite his risibility, he will find among them neither poverty nor disease, nor any involuntary or painful defect. The disposition to derision and insult is awakened by the softness of foppery, the swell of insolence, the liveliness of levity, or the solemnity of grandeur. By the sprightly trip, the stately stalk, the formal strut and the lofty mien. by gestures intended to catch the eye and by looks elaborately formed as evidences of importance every page of the rambler shows a mind teeming with classical illusion and poetical imagery illustrations from other writers are upon all occasions so ready and mingle so easily in his periods that the whole appears of one uniform, vivid texture. Johnson's Masters in Style, Anno Domini seventeen fifty. A great personage, I. Tart forty one. The style of this work has been censured by some shallow critics as involved and turgid, and abounding with antiquated and hard words. So ill-founded is the first part of this objection, that I will challenge all who may honour this book with a perusal, to point out any English writer whose language conveys his meaning with equal force and perspicuity. It must indeed be allowed that the structure of his sentences is expanded, and often has somewhat of the inversion of Latin, and that he delighted to express familiar thoughts in philosophical language, being in this the reverse of Socrates, who it was said reduced philosophy to the simplicity of common life. But let us attend to what he himself says in his concluding paper. When common words were less pleasing to the ear, or less distinct in their signification, I have familiarized the terms of philosophy by applying them to popular ideas. Footnote. Yet his style did not escape the harmless shafts of pleasant humour for the ingenious bonnell thornton published a mock rambler in the drury lane journal boswell murphy life page one five seven criticising the above quotation from johnson says he forgot the observation of dryden if too many foreign words are poured in upon us it looks as if they were designed not to assist the natives, but to conquer them." And as to the second part of this objection, upon a late, careful revision of the work, I can with confidence say that it is amazing how few of those words, for which it has been unjustly characterised, are actually to be found in it. I am sure not the proportion of one to each paper, this idle charge has been echoed from one babbler to another, who have confounded Johnson's essays with Johnson's dictionary, and because he thought it right in a lexicon of our language to collect many words which had fallen into disuse, but were supported by great authorities, it has been imagined that all of these have been interwoven into his own compositions. That some of them have been adopted by him unnecessarily may perhaps be allowed, but in general they are evidently an advantage, for without them his stately ideas would be confined and cramped. He that thinks with more extent than another, will want words of larger meaning. Idler number seventy, Boswell. In the same number Johnson writes, Few faults of style, whether real or imaginary, excite the malignity of a more numerous class of readers than the use of hard words. But words are hard only to those who do not understand them. And the critic ought always to inquire whether he is incommoded by the fault of the writer or by his own. Every author does not write for every reader. See Post, September nineteenth, 1777, where Johnson says, If Robertson's style be faulty, he owes it to me. That is, having too many words, and those too big ones. End of footnote. He once told me that he had formed his style upon that of Sir William Temple, Footnote. The following passages in Temple's writings show that a likeness may be discovered between his style and Johnson's. There may be firmness and constancy of courage from tradition as well as of belief. Nor methinks should any man know how to be a coward that is brought up with the opinion that all of his nation or city have ever been valiant. Temple's works, volume 1, page 167 this is a disease too refined for this country and people who are well when they are not ill and pleased when they are not troubled are content because they think little of it and seek their happiness in the common eases and commodities of life or the increase of riches not amusing themselves with the more speculative contrivances of passion or refinements of pleasure Ibid, page one seventy. They send abroad the best of their own butter into all parts, and buy the cheapest out of Ireland or the north of England for their own use. In short, they furnish infinite luxury which they never practise, and traffic in pleasures which they never taste. Ibid., page 195. See Post, April ninth, 1778, where Johnson says, Temple was the first writer who gave cadence to english prose End of footnote. and he had formed his style upon chambers proposal for his dictionary footnote. dean stanley calls ephraim chambers the father of Cyclopedias memorials of westminster abbey page 299 Note. The epitaph which Chambers wrote for himself, the Dean gives as Multis per notus, Quivitam inter lucem et umbram, Nec eruditus, Nec idioticus litteris deditus transecit In the gentleman's magazine for 1740, page 262, the last line is given, no doubt correctly, as "Nec nec idiota litteris deditus the second edition of chamber's cyclopdia was published in seventeen thirty eight there is no copy of his proposal in the british museum or Bodleian. the resemblance between his style and johnson's is not great the following passage is the most johnsonian that i could find None of my predecessors can blame me for the use I have made of them, since it is their own avowed practice. It is a kind of privilege attached to the office of lexicographer, if not by any formal grant, yet by connivance at least. I have already assumed the bee for my device, and whoever brought an action of trover or trespass against that avowed freebooter, Tis vain to pretend anything of property in things of this nature. To offer our thoughts to the public and yet pretend a right reserved therein to oneself, if it be not absurd, yet it is sordid. The words we speak, no, the breath we emit, is not more vague and the common than our thoughts when divulged in print. Chambers' Preface, page twenty-three, and a footnote. He certainly was mistaken or if he imagined at first that he was imitating temple he was very unsuccessful for nothing can be more unlike than the simplicity of temple and the richness of johnson their styles differ as plain cloth and brocade temple indeed seems equally erroneous in supposing that he himself had formed his style upon sands View of the state of religion in the western parts of the world. The style of Johnson was undoubtedly much formed upon that of the great writers in the last century—Hooker, Bacon, Sanderson, Hakewell, and others. Those giants. Footnote. There were giants in the earth in those days. Genesis chapter six verse four. And a footnote. As they were well characterized by a great personage. Footnote. A great personage first appears in the second edition. In the first edition, we merely find by one whose authority, etc. Boswell in his Hebrides, August the eighth, seventeen seventy-three, speaks of George the Third as a great personage. In his letter to the people of Scotland, page 90, he thus introduces an anecdote about the king and Paoli. I have one other circumstance to communicate, but it is of the highest value. I communicate it with a mixture of awe and fondness. That great personage, who is allowed by all to have the best memory of any man born a Briton, etc., in the probationary odes for the laureateship published a few months after boswell's letter a great personage is ludicrously introduced pages thirty and sixty-three end of footnote whose authority were i to name him would stamp a reverence on the opinion end of section 24.